house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. family man just swirled away to God knows where. He's not giving us any answers. It's not working. This is my interrogation. You observe nothing more. I need someone to look me in the eye and tell me exactly what it is they say he's done. If we're gonna get into a fight about rendition, it's gotta be a watertight case, and this ain't it. Back off! There are 7,000 people in central London alive tonight because of information we elicited just this way. Please! Please don't walk away from me. You have my husband. Just tell me he's okay! Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast fantasizing poems from the ads on the MTA. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. Um, or, I guess, like the investigative report for this episode. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, pregnant and screaming at my evil CIA nemesis co-host, Joe Reed. I'm sorry, I'm unfamiliar with who you're talking about. Um, Wait, I didn't I, do I didn't do the bad Meryl Southern accent in this movie, where it's only every like fourteen words. Yeah, yeah, and it's only when she's like trying to be like utmost evil, and I'm like, oh, okay. yeah. This is high key the era of like evil Meryl, where it's yeah. like the fallout of Devil Wears Prada made like they were like oh she should just be evil in all things but it's also in the venn diagram of meryl being righteously political in a way that was just not interesting yeah there's this is not my uh, my favorite meryl era which is funny because it does sort of sandwich there's a, a lot of meryl everybody loves. going on at once yeah yes that because like everybody like, loves the devil wears prada and rightly so and i think like it's a phenomenal performance, but it's sandwiched in between Rendition and Lions for Lambs, which we talked about, and like Manchurian Candidate, which I know is a movie that has its fans, but I think a lot of people don't love what Meryl is doing in that movie. Um, what else is? But then again, like I guess Angels in America was a good deal before this. It was a good four years before Rendition, at least. So right, right, I can't right. keep giving her credit for Angels in America, even though I want to, because it's great. Um, but yes, as we just mentioned, we are talking about rendition. 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 Um, you know what? I you messaged me that you kept thinking of it as Fiddler on the Roof, and I was so happy for that because, like, in my mind, I kept going to Ignition by R. Kelly. And I was like, <laughs> I we can't go there anymore. No, like, we really we can't do that. Like. Uh, I will say though the rendition remix was a lot better than the original rendition, so yeah, we can say that. The remix to rendition actually has I don't know discernible characters. Um, oh, 
actual intrigue. Like, uh, okay, I will say I don't think that this... We'll get into it. I don't think this movie is, like, maybe as bad as you think it is. I thought I don't, it was fine. I don't. I just think it's aggressively inert. Yeah, yeah. Maybe uh, that's not quite it either. It's just, like, there's there's a lot of it that irks me, and then I retain nothing of it. And Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah, I yeah. think because... I think it's also the gulf between... It's a movie that stars Meryl Streep and Reese Witherspoon, two of my very favorite actors. Oh, we should mention that we're timing this. We're doing rendition now because we wanted to coincide with Big Little Lies season two, which is Reese and Meryl together again. And I've, I've yet to see anybody mention that this is a great rendition reunion to the point where I think I might go and like tweet <laughs> because that once we're done it here. is not just Reese Witherspoon and Meryl Streep. It is also Nicole Kidman's Big Little Lies wig on Reese Witherspoon's head. <laughs> <laughs> fair, very fair. But I'm like, telling you, Meryl and Reese, and then Jake Gyllenhaal, who like I also generally really, really love, and like also other actors that I like, like Peter Sarsgaard and Alan Arkin and whatnot. But like, it's Reese and Meryl, and I was so hyped for this movie, and to have landed with such a comparative thud, I was just like, God damn it! I know. Well, uh, we will definitely get into it. There's not a whole lot for any of these actors to really do. Well, they're all on their own little island, which is one of the movie's big problems in terms of just enjoyability factor. Like, you don't get to see any of them interact. There's so much on their own island. I would buy that Reese and Meryl were not on the set together. They don't share a shot in the movie. Well, it's bizarre that this movie was how Reese and Jake got together, because they were a couple for like two years. And they had no scenes together. They had no scenes together, but apparently, I read a thing in, I read an old People magazine article from when they broke up, and they were like, they met on the set of Rendition in Morocco in 2006. And I'm like, why would that have happened? Because they (laughs) were in no scenes together. Only has scenes in America. And she's not a producer on the movie, so I don't understand why they would have been in scenes together other than like she just sort of like flew out to Morocco to see how things were going. I don't maybe like that's the article just got it wrong because I always assume they met on the press tour for right. the movie, which would have made more sense. And they because they didn't get together till actual 2007, really. And she was getting divorced from Ryan Phillippe at the time. And then they dated for a couple of years. And it was kind of a really dark career period for both of them. Yeah, because I will we will definitely get into it. This is following Jake Gyllenhaal's first nomination, Reese's first win, and they had like a year lull where they went away, and then this is the movie that they kind of came back with. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal you, also had Zodiac, but like in the right, that's this. true. I guess you can't say it's a career lull when he did Zodiac because Zodiac's really good and he's really good in it. But like, if you look at any of the like video, like filmed interviews with either one of them at the time, whether it was from TIFF or from you know the press tour for it they both look utterly not bored but just like they were not thrilled about this movie and you can you can sometimes you can read into that in retrospect and it's like you know the movie doesn't turn out well and so you look at the interviews and you're just like yeah they knew it but like i can't imagine watching those interviews at the time and thinking that they were in any way enthused about this movie yeah they just looked like dead to the world i don't remember meryl doing anything for the movie i don't either um Anyway, before we get into it, once again, we are talking about 
Rendition, directed Rendition. by Gavin Hood. Rendition. Um, written by Kelly Sane, uh, starring, as mentioned, Jake Gyllenhaal, Reese Witherspoon, Meryl Streep, Peter Sarsgaard, Alan Arkin, Omar Mitwali. Very sexy. Um, uh, the movie debuted at TIFF of that year and then opened a month later, October 19th, and it bombed. It was gone yeah. by November. It was gone by November, my least favorite uh, Wyclef song. <laughs> it was about rendition. It's weird that he wrote that song specifically about the Gavin Hood movie rendition. Well, Gone by November was the remix to rendition. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Joe. Yes. I know that we've kind of already positioned this movie for our listeners as kind of like a scattered, like everything on its own island movie. But would you like to take a stab at a 60 second plot description? Yes, I would. All right. Let me know when you are ready. I will start the clock. Um... All right. Yes. All right. So your time for the 60-second plot description of Rendition starts now. Okay. So there's a suicide bombing somewhere in the Middle East slash North Africa. I'm not entirely sure where. Um, and Jake Gyllenhaal plays a CIA analyst who then like has to help solve it. They uh, center on this Egyptian-born American named Anwar El-Ibrahimi who um, gets... Uh, sort of whisked out of an airport on his way home to see his wife, who his wife is very pregnant, played by Reese Witherspoon, and he's taken to like a black site and he's interrogated using extraordinary rendition um, and it's torture and it's waterboarding and all the sort of horror stories that you can, can think of. Meryl Streep plays a CIA uh, person who's in charge of all this, who's approving all of this. Peter Sarsgaard is Reese Witherspoon's ex-boyfriend who knew the husband and he's trying to get his senator boss, Senator Alan Arkin, to do something about it, to find out whether this husband is actually at the site because Reese doesn't know where he is and she's you know tell him he's okay and she screams in the trailer and it's and it's bad and that's your time yeah yeah so and then it just sort of like wrap that's the thing it just sort of like wraps up in this very false way where all of a sudden Jake Gyllenhaal's character is called upon to like do the like step out of his role and do a very heroic act and because throughout the movie he is sort of his place in the movie is he is the american who is sent there to like soup not supervise but like observe as the um the the guy Torture. doing the actual torturing who is i don't know what his nationality is in this movie um but he's just sort of like, I think he's like, this guy's painted as sort of just like, this is the Arab man, and he's going to be doing the torturing. And because Jake Gyllenhaal's role in this movie is like the American, yeah, the fact that he sort of like steps out to do this sort of heroic thing by uh, liberating Anwar is false. Feels very strange. It's a very false note to me. I don't know about you. Um, no, I completely agree. One thing I will say about you, you did a good job of getting a lot of the threads of this movie into the 60 second plot description. Tell me However, I, <laughs> I will say the thing that like it, while you got a lot in there, what it doesn't really illustrate and what I was so like kind of surprised by in watching this movie is how little it has to do with the actual stars of the movie. Like, yes. It's not to say that they don't. How can I put this? It's it's almost like Crash of 
uh, like the war on terror, right? Like it just feels (laughs) like it's like more of an ensemble drama than it was definitely sold as, because like, I think that's part of the reason why critics and audiences didn't care for the movie because it feels like you're being a little lied to, right? Because it feels like yeah. this was definitely sold to us as a star vehicle. It is definitely not. Even like Reese Witherspoon has maybe five or six scenes in the whole movie. Yeah, she's barely in the movie. Most of her scenes are with Peter Sarsgaard, which like those are good, I yeah. guess. But like those he's playing a very sort of scenes. like he's playing the like Tony Goldwyn kind of character who was like yes. Even he's he's not bad in this. I was sort of I was watching it again and I was like, he ends up being bad, right? He's not bad. He's just sort of like weak willed and ineffectual as it turns out, and like kind of takes way too many opportunities to turn the screws to Reese emotionally because he's her ex and she uh, you get the sense that she left him for Anwar and yeah, he still like feels tension there some sort of way about it. Help. And like he's takes a couple moments to be like actively shitty about it and i'm just like fuck this guy so i kind of appreciated that in the end he ends up doing the thing that i thought that gyllenhaal's character if we were being realistic also would have done which is take it up to a certain point then you know realize that pursuing it too much farther would be career suicide so you're not going to do anything about it and ultimately you're just going to learn to live with this awful thing that america has been doing and that's what the sarsgaard character does and i get that like you're making a movie here so you want to have one of your characters do an actual heroic thing but like it does feel very false and well and yes and like to the point that all the pieces of these movies like are the movies that we are movies we have seen a million times before the Peter Sarsgaard one is the one that like I think rendition knows how to do the best if that makes sense yeah no um, that's the that's the most to, effective part of the movie and the most watchable but like yeah. e- even the thing about like this is actually an ensemble piece like Peter Sarsgaard has as much screen time as Reese Witherspoon does. Yes. Yes, which is weird. Uh, it's weird, at least what we were told we were going to get out of this movie. Yeah. The other thing that I didn't mention in the plot summary at all is there's this, like, shadow story happening out of time and space from the movie. You eventually find out that it's, like, taking place in a earlier timeline, which is the ter- the interrogator, Abasi, his daughter is sort of running around with this sort of young boyfriend of hers, student, protester, activist, whatever, who gets caught up with these uh, revolutionaries. I don't know if that's not the right word, but whatever. Just sort of, there's a lot of unrest and protest going on. And ultimately, they end up sort of tied into the, the suicide bombing that happens at the beginning of the movie. And that plot, in and of itself feels compelling enough to have been its own movie. And you so, or sort of get the sense that maybe that's the movie that Gavin Hood wanted to be making at yeah. some point. But it really just, it's so separate from everything else that's happening in the movie that it's hard to invest too much in it, especially when in the language of Hollywood and casting in the movie, you know that the part you're really supposed to be paying attention to is the part with Meryl Streep and Reese Witherspoon and, and Jake and Gyllenhaal. it's the worst part of the movie. It's so boring. Yes. Meryl gets very little to do except, like, be self-evidently evil. This is also a very preachy movie, and I hate... I 
I hate less. I hate it less now, but I used to hate when movies would get sort of called preachy simply for having a point of view. But like this movie really does take every opportunity to sort of step outside of itself and just be like, you know, uh, you know, torture is ineffective, right? It does the things that people I think wanted Zero Dark Thirty to do that I think Zero Dark Thirty is better for not doing. But I think a lot of people want would have been more comfortable if Zero Dark Thirty had been like, you know, torture is ineffective and wrong for these 10 bullet points. Like Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal has this really bad scene towards the end. It's the scene where he ends up quoting Shakespeare in The Merchant of Venice. Yeah, but, like he sh- he quotes Merchant of Venice and but he not like, reads like a one position of the key... paper. Yeah. yeah. He like runs like, down bullet points about why torture is ineffective. And it's just like, we fucking get it. Like that's the whole POV of the movie. We would have got it anyway. I don't know. Yeah. This it's movie. Like... Go yeah. ahead. No, I was going to say, it's like, uh, we'll certainly get into it when we have this conversation about this movie. But, like, all of these, like, even if you agree with them, these righteous, like, anti war on terror movies of this era are, like, all so fucking milk toast and, like, righteous in uninteresting ways. Well, and when we say of this era, we mostly mean. That most, but like this year was when the floodgates really opened, which is funny because it does. This is 2007, so Bush has already is basically on the way out, and like America had already pretty much fully turned on him by now. Like he's he got reelected, and then immediately his poll numbers, like his reelection, was like the high point of the rest of his presidency. Like at from like essentially the next day, everything started going downhill for for. Uh, George W. Bush uh, approval ratings wise, right? So like by 07, most of America is pretty much over George W. Bush, or at least like a majority of Americans are, are over George W. Bush. So it's not like this film was particularly brave in speaking out now at this point in 2007. It's good that it did, but like it comes in this string of 07 movies where it's this, it's In the Valley of Ella, it's Lions for Lambs, and then right in early 08 was Stop Loss. So, like, there was a huge glut of movies that all of a sudden decided they all had things to say about the war on terror. And none of them had anything to really say. And they all sort of, their negative react negative reactions to them compounded upon each other. And their relative box office, not relative, like their box office failure compounded upon each other so that the narrative for a while was like nobody wants to see these movies. And then even The Hurt Locker, which comes a couple years later, wins the Oscar. That at least gets like great reviews, but like nobody saw The Hurt Locker either. So but so this leads me to, I wanted to take like a quick time out. I created, I devised a little game for you, Chris, to follow Uh-oh. this up on this subject of this glut of war on terror themed movies and the sort of similarities, the fact that like they all sort of like fall into the same sort of three or four plots and ideas. So I gathered a handful of movies about the war on terror from this era and I pulled out uh, plot keywords from IMDb, and I want to see if you can guess the movies based on the plot keywords. And if you and if you need a hint, then I'll read you the plot description. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. So All right. we'll start with this one. We'll start a uh, little bit of training wheels. This one is political thriller, interrogation, CIA agent, waterboarding, bare-chested male bondage, title spoken by main character. 
Rendition. That's rendition. Okay. So, next one. Keyword. chested male bondage. Isn't that weird that that would be one of the keywords? He's it makes being it... tortured. I'm saying. I'm, this is why, is that's why I pulled that out. All right. This one is weapons of mass destruction, army intelligence, duped press, helicopter crash, corrupt U.S. agency, interrogation by torture, quote-unquote diehard scenario, bad intelligence, special forces based on novel. So it's not Zero Dark Thirty. Based on a novel, diehard scenario... I assume what they mean by diehard scenario is one man fighting his way out of a building. Exactly. Um, ooh. If you is would it like, actually I can re- a building? I don't remember the scenario a in that way. I don't think crash. the entire movie is that. I think there is a diehard scenario in the movie. I mean, is it Black Hawk Down? It's not Black Hawk Down, because that, of course, is about... The Somalia right. uh, thing. But it's before. still this era of movie, so it all blurs yeah. together. Um, Plot description is discovering covert and faulty intelligence causes a U.S. Army officer to go rogue as he hunts for weapons of mass destruction in an unstable region. Uh, green Zone? This is Green Zone, yes. All right, next one. Republican. You, by the way, if you can guess these as I'm reading them, like jump in with guesses because you'll get you know okay more points i guess there's no points republican self-sacrifice helicopter shot down woman with glasses condescension <laughs> reference to watergate Lions reference for lambs yes the next one is a reference to the chicago glasses. convention class attendance and directed by star it's lines for lambs woman with glasses had to get that right woman yeah. with glasses condescension Beautiful. yep that's, that's the one a plot, that's a plot keyword cool. uh-huh all right, uh, for next one, Saudi Arabia, FBI agent, softball, Ooh. rocket launcher, diehard scenario, not even kidding, also in this, investigation, urban combat, black American hero, ironic ending. Softball. I feel like I didn't hear anything after softball. Give me the plot description. <laughs> a team of U.S. government agents are sent to investigate the bombing of an American facility in the Middle East. Is it the Kingdom? It's the Kingdom. Okay. Which I think was the same year as all these other movies, right? We've talked about the Kingdom before, and I have not seen that movie. I think it's a Peter Berg movie. It I is will not see absolutely that movie. a Peter Berg movie. All right, next one. Pass. CIA, oil, U.S. foreign policy. Child in Peril, Suicide Bomber, Rocket Launcher, Husband-Wife Relationship, Prince, Controversy, One Word Title. Oh, um, Child in Peril, One Word Title, uh, give me the plot description. A politically charged epic about the state of the oil industry in the hands of those personally involved and affected by it. The oil industry. It's not Charlie Wilson's war. Nope. Uh, help me out. One word title. One word title. Um, Oscar winner. 
Oscar winner, one word title. Oscar winner in a major category. Yes. Oh, an acting category. Yes. Uh, oil. I know this is going to be really embarrassing that I don't have this. Just give me the answer. It is Siriana. 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 I fully forget everything about Siriana yeah, except the Amanda Pete. Yep. All right. Next one. Based on real events, waterboarding, terrorist bombing, tinnitus, special forces, obsession, controversy. Zero Dark Thirty? Yes. Zero yeah. Dark Thirty. The other ones were directed by a female and female agent. All right. Next one. Murder investigation. Death of a boy. In the Valley of Ella. In the Valley of Ella. The others were post-traumatic stress disorder, husband-wife relationship, searching for the truth, sexism, and strong female lead. All right, next one. Searching for the truth. Soldier. Texas. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Returning home. Reference to George W. Bush. Is this Heart Locker? Nope. VA hospital. Squadron leader. AWOL. Male underwear. Stop loss. And then directed by female. I think if you would have gotten it by, you would have gotten it by male underwear for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Stop loss. Directed by Kimberly Pierce. All right, next one. CIA, freedom of the press, political thriller, undercover agent, strong female character, marital problem, soccer mom. Who? Um... Uh, fair game? Nope. Uh, freedom of the press. Give me the plot description. In Washington, D.C., a female reporter faces a possible jail sentence for outing a CIA agent and refusing to reveal her source. And that's not fair game. It's not. Uh, uh I think I know what this is. Um, Why isn't it fair game? Because it's an unfair game? Uh, I don't know. I don't it's know. the other one. It's nothing but the truth starring Kate Beckinsale. Essentially oh. the other version of that same story. Yes, yes, yes. All yes. right, That's next the one. the Rod Lurie one, right? Yes, correct. Courage, special forces, helicopter crash, rocket-propelled grenade, ambush, muscular... All-male cast, tough guy, racial slur, scenic beauty. Uh, Rescue Dawn? No. Although that would have been a good one. Was Rescue Dawn War on Terror? No, was that it Vietnam? was Vietnam War, but okay. it's this era movie. Um, yeah. Uh, racial slur. Racial slur and all-male cast, I feel like, are your big ones there. Also, courage, because this fucking guy. <laughs> Is the cur- word courage in the title? No. Give me the plot description. Name Redacted and his team set out on a mission to capture or kill notorious Taliban leader Name Redacted in late June 2005. He and his team are left to fight for their lives in one of the most valiant efforts of modern warfare. American Sniper? Nope. Same kind of thing, but not that one. Ugh. 
Lone Survivor? Yes, Lone Survivor. Oh, fuck. I should have. Yeah. It's one big fucking jerk off to Mark Wahlberg in a soldier's uniform is essentially what Lone Survivor is. So, Peter yeah. fucking Berg. Peter fucking Berg. All right, next one. Post-traumatic Berg stress off. disorder. Our good friend returns. Rescue mission. Fight to the death. Cheering crowd. Mentor. Reference to Mark Wahlberg. Brother-sister relationship. Based on a novel. I want you to guess it before I get to this incredibly obvious one. Based on a novel. Based on a novel, cheering crowd, brother-sister relationship, relationship. fight to the death, PTSD, 3D. 3D. A 3D war movie? Brother-sister relationship. What the hell? This was the era, also the era of movie where it's like, let's just put everything in 3D. Um, well, this comes a little bit later than the rest of them, but okay. Well, give me the plot description. I genuinely am lost. Nineteen-year-old name redacted is brought home for a victory tour after a harrowing Iraq battle. Through flashbacks, the film shows what really happened to his squad, contrasting the realities of war with Americans' perceptions. Nineteen years old. Brother-sister relationship, based on a novel. Had Oscar buzz. Well, they all did. Yeah. Um, Directed by a two-time Oscar winner. In 3D. In 3D. And beyond. (laughs) And beyond. Smell-o-vision. I genuinely don't know. I'm lost. It's all like this game has gotten harder as it's gone on because it's this one all I thought would have been the soup. would have been it would have been a gimme. Title uh, character's name is in the title. Um, people hated Charlie Saint Cloud. People hated looking at it. Looking at the movie. Yeah. Oh, uh, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. Yes, Billy Lynn's Long God. Halftime Walk. God. All right. Um, one year, post traumatic stress disorder. Firefight, No Man's Land, Talking to the Camera, Roughhousing, Friendship, Dead Child, Nope, Dead Child, Terraced Landscape, Documentary. The movie is a documentary? Or like they make a documentary? The movie is a documentary. I mean, there were a million War on Terror docs. Um, This was a really good one. Um, was it Restrepo? It was Restrepo. Yep, very good. Yeah. All right, just a couple more. We might cut some of these out. <laughs> um, I'm having fun. Are you having fun? I am having fun. I am okay, just good. like, wow. There this is were the point. There's a lot of them, exactly and they all were about same the same things. Movies. All right, Operation Iraqi Freedom, handheld camera, post-traumatic stress disorder, suspense, death of boy. Shower with clothes on. Soccer ball. Disarming a bomb. Directed by a female. Hurt Locker. That's the one, Hurt Locker. All right. See, some of these I can't even tell if I had already had them or not. Yes. Like, I think I've thrown out again, Hurt the Locker. Point, this, is my, this is me doing extraordinary rendition on you. I am just, just orienting yes. you in every way. You're CIA. waterboarding me with words that <laughs> are fading into nothingness. CIA... Weapons of Mass Destruction, Lecture Hall, Female Protagonist, 
reference to John Ashcroft, uranium enrichment, bad intelligence, marital problem, New York Times. This one is not fair game. Or is it fair game? It's fair game. It's fair game. You've run out of ones that aren't fair game, so now this one has to be fair game. <laughs> All right, last one. Iraq this game War. is proving that I have not run out of ones that are not fair game. <laughs> Iraq War, American politics, occupation, incompetence, power politics, claim and title, which means like somebody makes a claim and that's the title of the movie, documentary. Okay, so it's a doc. Um, uh, oh, uh, this was this one of the Oscar-nominated docs? Yes. Uh, ooh. I, I'm pretty sure it won. I know there's a bunch of words that are, like, stirring around in my head, and I know exactly what it is, but I don't know what the words are. A comprehensive look at the Bush administration's conduct in of the Iraq War and its occupation of the country. It's a super depressing title. It's like, it's some title that's like, is the word like knight in the title? or No, like, but rhymes with it. <laughs> fight? Nope. No end in sight. No end in sight. That's the one. Yes. All right. Sorry to put you, you through to... all of that, but you did very well considering, I will say. Considering. Like, okay, so as that game went on, my brain just slowly turned to sludge yep. and fell out of my body. <laughs> no, it, I think it, it, really... but again, it's it really illustrates how many of those movies were made in a relatively short window and how many what of them sort of like ran of together in yeah. the American uh, imagination. Because ultimately I mean, I think ultimately all like everything that's sort of happening over there does kind of blend into this sludge into our mind of just like quagmire and, you know, no end in sight and all of this sort of like bad things that are happening. But there's, you know, a lot of a lot of different kinds of bad things all at once. It is uh, torture and it is, you know, poor strategy and it is things like drones and it is things like oil and you know american politicians putting out false intelligence and and you know reporters being being squeezed and cia agents being outed and all this sort of stuff all sort of like wraps into this sort of like swirling morass of american foreign policy in the 2000s and it's rough yeah. And the movies haven't been able to differentiate it, aside from, I would say, like, you got Zero Dark Thirty real quick, and I think that's a testament to that movie. I think uh, Bigelow's two movies really do sort of stand out and probably deserve to. And have, like, just distinct points of view, something, like, nuanced to actually say about something. Because here's the thing, like, movies like Rendition take these, like, broad strokes that are just basically... Like, torture is bad and telling us things that we already know, but, like, not right. like not mining them for any of the actual implications beyond them. Like, Rendition takes this, like, extreme case, which is semi-based on a true story of a German citizen, but, like, I don't know. I, yeah. I think it's about... These movies just take the most empty kind of approach and that's why they all blend together indeed 
All right, so let's get into why this had Oscar buzz in the first place. Because I think you mentioned while we were doing that game that like all of these movies did have Oscar buzz because they were all about very important subjects. And I think that that's sort of like brick one in terms of the you know the house the house of buzz that was built on these movies was the subject matter is very important. And because of that, we know that like Vietnam movies, which were also about very important things, ended up having these great Oscar successes. You think of Platoon and Born on the Fourth of July and The Deer Hunter. Coming home. Coming home. Right, exactly. So like I think there was a lot of, well, those ones were successes. So all of these movies about this very contentious part of our you know, current events slash, you know, very recent history will also have that same level of import and prestigiousness. And it just really didn't. Yeah. So this starts with director. Talk to me about Gavin Hood because I've talked too much. Yes. Okay. So this is directed by Gavin Hood, who two years previously had won the foreign language, uh, now known as the International Feature Film Oscar for Sotsi, which itself carried its own Oscar buzz. Like it had, Rendition had it because of the War on Terror themes and obviously the stars attached to the movie. But there was also a certain degree of expectation given to this movie because it was already an Oscar winning director. Yes. Um, essentially. And like we're kind of in an era where that follows a lot of the foreign language Oscar winners when they make English language films that will have Oscar buzz partly for that reason. We've already done episodes on Susanna Beer's Serena and Florian Henkel von Donner's Mark's The Tourist. Uh, we can't really do uh, Youth for Paolo Sorrentino. No, Thank almost, God. though. It came close. Simple song and number three. Yeah. I hated that movie. Oh, Youth? Yeah, I did not care yeah, for that movie either. Despised. Um, but like that is kind of a thing. You, I, there wasn't a whole lot of examples. I suppose if Sebastian Lelio had a movie that was actually released during the heat of Oscar season, Sebastian Lelio would have that after he won for A Fantastic Woman, and he's now made uh, multiple English language features. Right. Right. Um, I don't know. Like, I think that that is something that it doesn't actually have the crossover receipts that in this era we thought that they would, or like that that would pay off in a certain way. I think, I think one of the nice things about the current era that we're in is those directors, the sort of directors of um, foreign language film nominees don't always have to cross over. Like Michael Hanukkah can make a more after the white ribbon and it's just a best picture nominee. You know what I mean? Like some of yeah. these actually like we pay attention to, we're a little bit better at um, recognizing foreign films. They get, you know, a little bit better distribution, but then you look at, I always look at the 2010 Oscar lineup for foreign language film. And it's that's Susanna beer one for in a better world, but it's in for beautiful Yorgos Lanthimos for dog tooth, Denis Villeneuve for on And then, um, uh, the Algerian film Outside the Law, uh, Rashid Bouchareb, Bouchareb mm-hmm. did not really cross over in that way. But like Vilnev, Lanthimos, Inyaratu are all have all gotten um, at the very least best director nominations since then. Inyaratu obviously has won twice, and 
Like, that's that's a hell of a class. And I feel like that speaks to the possibility of what you're saying, which is that mm-hmm. this this can be a springboard for those directors to jump into not only English language stuff, but, like, in the case of... I mean, none of I mean, Villeneuve has jumped into the studio. So you know what I mean? He's making yeah. he's making Blade Runner. He's making Dune. Like that's you know that is a it is kind of ladder. like this launching pad. I don't know. I mean, we could probably go back further, but I think the further we go back in Oscar history with foreign language winners and nominees is that they, like you mentioned, Michael Hanukkah, they stay doing films right. in their own language, Jean not Yimou in, and yeah. you know. That kind of thing. But, yeah. And then, of course, we have, like, the Titans, like, Koran and Ang Lee. Right. Yes, exactly. That kind of go back and forth. Love them. Love them for that. Gavin Hood, though, yeah, not really not really one to be mentioned in the same breath as, <laughs> as Ang Lee or Quaron or Villeneuve or Yudlanthamos or any of these people. Because Gavin Hood, as it turns out... Doesn't make good movies. No. And I think Sotsi, when it won, was like, it won partly because it was like the sentimental fave, right. if I remember correctly. Best foreign language film for a while had a real kick of, we're going to award the sentimental fave over the more heralded, um, you know, uh, auteur-driven movie, right? Where like Sotsi yeah, wins the over- cinema. Over, like, Paradise Now, right? And I remember, like, Departures beating out The Class and Waltz with Bashir and Bader Meinhof Complex. And, like, that was sort of notoriously the sentimental fave beating the other ones. Or, like, Secret in Their Eyes, which isn't, like, a sentimental movie, but it's, like, a more Hollywood-y kind of a, you know, It's very Western, yeah. And that beating out A Prophet and The White Ribbon, which is, like amazing uh shocking to sort of think of and it's happened less lately i feel like nowadays we're a little bit more rigorous in that category yes and now there's probably also a better maybe not better because there's still challenges in getting non-english language films to distribution in america but like there's i i think there's a certain appetite for it i think netflix definitely makes it a little bit easier the roma thing is a huge i mean we almost we i would love to know how close we came but i do feel like we did come reasonably close to getting a best picture best foreign language film you know double which is first ever first ever would have happened would have been nice hollywood would have been cool would have been fun and cool instead we got Fucking pizza folding the movie. Alas. How did we get to talking about Green Book? <laughs> All roads. All lead roads lead to, to the pizza Green folding. Book. Yes. All right. Um, I mentioned the Jake Gyllenhaal, Reese Witherspoon sort of romance that grew out of this movie. I, I, it's just. Our second Jake Gyllenhaal movie in a row where we've talked about his love life. Oh, wait, what I did we talk like, about last time? Remind me. Uh, Love and Other Drugs with uh, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. <laughs> yes, um, indeed. Okay, this is so not my I... favorite Reese era. No, because she had the only thing she'd had between her Oscar win and this was Penelope, which she had a small part in. And that's like this little like the story there movie. is that she produced it like that's yeah, she one also where she produced was... it as well. Yeah. Um, was that her first film she produced? I'm pretty sure because I remember I that being like a lot of this. Wait, 
No, because I thought I remembered her being a producer on Legally Blonde too. Anyway. Possibly? I just remember a lot of the story of Penelope being like Reese sort of like fighting to make that movie. And, you know, that's Christina Ricci with the pig nose, if you've never seen Penelope. It's this sort of modern day fairy tale. It's decidedly okay. Who's the guy in that? It's cute. Is it James McAvoy? It is. Oh, and he's so like scruffy and like. You know, uh, long scarfy kind of a like. I'm looking at the poster, and she's got it's this. It's a like, sweet movie. It's a, it's, a it's fine. Movie. It's I think it's fine. I think it's if it was on TV, I would watch it and enjoy it. Richard E. Grant is in it. Catherine O'Hara is in it. Like the cast is really good. What else do you need? What else do you need? Exactly. Um, it did not light the world on fire though. So like, even with Walk the Line and Walk the Line, I think she's wonderful in. I think I probably don't throw her my vote for the Oscar that year, even though she's like one of my favorite actresses. But like, I don't think that's a shameful Oscar win. I don't think that's an unworthy Oscar win at all. I think she's wonderful in that movie, but like it comes in the midst of legally blonde Two, vanity fair, just like heaven, Penelope rendition Four Christmases. She does the voice job in monsters versus aliens. How do you know water for elephants this means war, and it's not until she gets that small role in Mud, the Jeff Nichols movie, Mud, which, like, Mud was wrapped up in the whole reconnaissance thing. So, like, Reese isn't even the story in that. But, like, it was kind of an good. interesting little handoff. She's great in that. And then Wild comes, it's not till Wild, really, that she fully, this is part of why Wild meant so much to me, being such a, like, it's, very self-aggrandizing to say that, but like <laughs> I've been such a big Reese Witherspoon fan for so long, and watching how great Wild was, and knowing how much she fought for that movie, and you know, tried... it speaks as much to her gifts as a performer as a producer that yes. movie because she, like you said, she fought really hard for that movie. It she. A, a lot of the stuff she's in now, she has some type of producing hand, and I think that's because she is seeking out projects and fighting for projects that really center women and in the interior lives of women in ways that are interesting that are not out there. And I think it could, I mean, of course she cares about it, but like the list, the litany of movies that you just. Uh, that's a decade's worth of movies that's a decade's worth of her career in the prime of her career that she had with to the fight exception through. of yeah like with the exception of legally blonde 2 right the and the rest of them are just like her being the lady in boy stories kind of like or even like just even like the heaven we're like yeah and like just which like is, heaven is nothing to, to you know write home about anyway um or how do you know which is just sort of like this misbegotten romantic comedy and these movies that just don't serve her but try to like chase what we thought her charisma was at the time right and it's not like she's hitting all home runs now either like hot pursuit wasn't good but like wait was that her yes right so yes, yes god all right but like there is an ownership to her career now. And you watch her. I mean, I go back to watching her doing press for rendition. The difference between her doing press for rendition and her doing press for like big little lies season two right now is fully night and day. And it's, there's, you know, there's the light in her eye. There's the sort of spark in her, which is part of what makes us love her as an actress. But like seeing her so invested in these projects and finally being able to have ownership of her career in this way is 
inspirational and I don't use that term lightly. Like I'm not just sort of like throwing that around and she really had to fight through the muck to get there. And by the muck, I mean four Christmases. Uh, (laughs) Yes. To bring it back to the big little lies of it all premiering. Well, it would have premiered already um, by this episode. You're already in the thick of it. I know that we are both, the Madeline type people. I really yeah. hope that this is Madeline's season and that Reese gets her due because like she was my favorite of season one. She was my favorite season one too. I love Nicole Kidman, but like, no, yeah, I am. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> as a Madeline, as someone who nurses their grudges. <laughs> yeah. 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 For real. Yep. Exactly. No, I'm so psyched. I'm so psyched for her and Meryl to square off. It's, it's going to be a fun season. I was on the record as thinking that it didn't, need to be made and that Big Little Lies season one ended perfectly and sometimes we need to let things end perfectly before you know we need to stop making things until they get bad and then that's when we stop but as of recording that 30 second clip of her and Meryl together where Meryl's like oh I don't mean to be offensive well maybe well maybe I do yeah it's like this is why we have season two yeah it's true it's very true um Let's talk a little bit about, like, the romance between Jake Gyllenhaal and Reese Witherspoon, because I don't think that this is a movie that's interesting to talk about, really, Jake Gyllenhaal. No. And, like, I think it's it's a lot of what we've talked about in our Love and Other Drugs and our Brothers episode, this era of Jake Gyllenhaal, where it's, like, he is, like, attractive young male and gets landed in mostly boring roles that don't use him. Um, so my conception of their relationship i don't remember much of the details of it other than they were in this movie together and that one incredibly legendary photo where she is like wistfully leaning against the window of the car yeah you can see him behind her in full nightcrawler mode (laughs) like they always seemed like such an odd match to me just in terms of personality type and I don't know. I never liked them as a couple. I never, I was never into that. And part of that is I have these weird childish notions of Reese and Ryan as sort of the ideal couple. And Ryan's turned out to be a shit anyway. But um, I don't know. They never never felt like a match to me. They never felt well matched. And he never feels well matched for any of his like publicly. kind of like, kind of very true. Although he and Kirsten for a while, that was sort of that sort of like yeah. youthful whatever. But even then, after a while, I'm just sort of like, that's you know, why is this even you know happening either? I don't know. I mean, maybe it was just that they were both in these weird transitional moments of their career, something. They were. That's the thing. They sort of, like, Reese and and Jake, that was sort of that transitional relationship. And that's it only lasted a couple years. And by by most accounts, it ended, like, at this sort of, like, natural endpoint where she's just like, well, we're not going to get married, so I don't know where we go from here. And... There were reports that he had wanted to get married, and she was just like, I got my kids, and I just got divorced, and maybe not, so. Right. I also think, like, to bring this back to, like, the Oscar narrative of it, or at least the, like, publicity narrative of this movie, I feel like maybe it was more of, like, a 90s convention. We just talked about... um, Meg Ryan and her um, relationship with Russell Crowe in our previous In the Cut episode, but it feels very much like there is 
whenever you have two people who are actually in a relationship in a movie, there is a pushback against it. Like we as a public resent having to watch them in a movie together for some weird reason that I feel like is part of why people were so negative towards this movie. Because again, I I think the movie is fine and like you don't see them together, but like I think people approached it already negatively and with an eye roll because they were in the tabloids for being together. I feel like their whole, their major tabloid era though didn't happen until after, until after this movie was already sort of like out and done. And I, and I don't know. Do you understand where I'm, what I'm saying when it's like, Oh, definitely. I just don't remember that for this movie. Yeah. But yeah, no, absolutely. Where it's just like, we don't, you know, there's, unless it's, I'm trying to think of like one, like huge, counterexample where it was like so good and we were so swept up in it and i can't you'd have to go back to the 90s i would wager especially i mean like like brad and gwyneth and seven or something like that right or i don't even know like i'm trying to even come up with like 70s and 80s examples where it just felt like hollywood power couple but then again as we've illustrated they never really felt like a power couple just like two which is why it was prestigious people which is why it was so weird that people seemed to be trying so hard to graft a relationship angle onto Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper at the Oscars this year. Right? Yeah. Because, like, A, it just seemed so strenuous that people were, like, trying very hard to not sort of see to what was to me obvious, which is two, two incredibly dramatic people playing the part of their on-screen lovers through this publicity tour in a way that felt very knowingly performed and i felt like we're supposed to be in on all of this with them why are you fucking this up by pretending that like he's cheating on his weird fembot wife or whatever and it's like no like they're weird theater kids exactly it's like what you said and it's just like yeah they're like performing on the oscar stage and like you know getting lost in each other's eyes like yeah they're playing characters you weirdos have you ever have you never met a dramatic person in your life like this is how they act all the fucking time (laughs) Have you ever been to karaoke with two people who have been way too into Endless Love? Like, that's what we're talking about. Uh, Joe's talking about the two of us. Yes. Um, uh, Fact. I just think that rendition is a good example of, like, a certain type of prestige. Like, maybe in in previous eras we would have fallen for it or just, like, the cumulative, like, power prestige whatever yeah of the two of them together would have gotten this movie more of a free pass than it got yeah i mean this movie didn't even make 10 million dollars oh yeah it was and i don't think that it's like nearly the worst of these kind of movies even roger ebert gave this movie four stars did you you check that did you see that which is fully bananas but it's like, like it's it's very sort of like unbothered ebert too where it's just like he does not have any sense sometimes of like where the critical winds are blowing and fully doesn't care and was just very into i think he he was very into the good intentions of this movie what's that i think he gave a free pass to these movies more than most did i think he was very into the good intentions of them yeah which like it's tough to fully blame him for i think if you read the the review that stephanie zaharik wrote for salon at the time which you can't link to it through Rotten Tomatoes, but if you do a search for Salon Rendition Review, you'll find it. And I think she gets to a lot of what the frustration with these movies was, which was these good intentions are great, but you have to like 
make them feel full-blooded and alive in a movie or else no one's going to give a shit. Yeah. And ultimately no one gave a shit. You can't be a glorified NCIS episode. Yeah. Right. There are some bad things about this movie that like really got under my skin. Like there's that like throwaway shot of like you see a plane in the air in the background over Washington DC and you see the Washington monument yeah. and like the shadow of the plane passes through it and it's supposed to like stir this like fear from like nine carry over from nine eleven and I think that that is really manipulative and gross. But I sort of took that as just sort of like this is why these villains in this movie are doing what they do and sort of like that's their that's his attempt at creating a kind of like character shading but it doesn't it's work not effective in that way yeah no um yeah i don't know i mean do we want to talk a little bit about meryl in this time i feel like every time we have meryl in an episode we never really go into meryl but this is also like not the this is not the movie to go into meryl with but like okay so like i would bring up her her, like replacing somebody at the last minute yeah so this f 2006 is actually a really good year for meryl because it's devil wears prada which we've mentioned it's also a prairie home companion and I, she's, like, riding really high. And then 2007 is such a crashdown where it's evening, rendition, lines from limbs. Although we talked about when we talked about evening, she's the best part of evening. And, like, that she's in it so little that the failure of that movie doesn't really get on her, but like rendition and lions for lambs being so similar in theme and happening so close to each other that, um, it, that, that definitely did. That was a, that was a hit on her. But then 2008 is such a rebound. 2008 and 2009 for Meryl are like, it's such a like powerhouse couple of years where it's Mamma Mia and Doubt, the like, box office plus critical double and then does it again with well not quite in the same way but like julia and julia and it's complicated in the same year in 2009 plus she's a voice in fantastic mr fox so it's like 2007 was fully forgotten almost immediately because she rebounded so strong in 08 and 09 but like this is the flavor of meryl when it's bad meryl it's it's too it's overdetermined it's too sort of self-aware self-aware it's and cerebral bad theater yeah. kid yeah yeah so i don't like to linger on this it's funny because i do think of meryl kind of first and foremost when i think of rendition and lions for lambs but that's probably mostly because like she's my favorite actress and i always think of her first when i think of movies she's in so i don't know I don't know. Yeah. I it's I think you're I think the Dragon Lady thing is interesting because it's such a detriment to this movie, but like it was such a positive for Devil Wears Prada. So Yeah, but like Devil Wears here's the thing that it work when it works and it doesn't work because I also think it doesn't work for the Manchurian candidate even though it's a hell of a lot better than Rendition. Yeah. Is that like she still has to be a person, right? Like right. part of what makes Devil Wears Prada as impactful as it is is not just how icy she is, but that like we do see through the cracks this real person who experiences pain and joy and the like a full gamut of human emotion. Whereas in rendition she is just like placidly evil. Yes. 
Yeah. You know, there's not, it's not a human, it's a concept of a person that we read in a newspaper article. Yes, I think Which that's Which is right. not Meryl's fault. It is not her fault. I just don't understand why she, other than like political motivation, would want to do that role at all. Yeah. No, I agree with that. It's, there's a lot of, I think maybe there was a sense of like hurriedness to this movie, which is weird because again, the war had been going on for like four years at this point. So maybe they were trying to like get it in before the election year or something. I don't know. There was the sense though of like 2007 being this thing where like everybody had to really race to get their anti-war movie out. And it's just like, I, I not sure what this sudden urgency was. Yeah. I don't know. You always see, like, politically-minded movies around election years, and it's always so silly. Like, I think, I I know that opinions vary on this movie, but, like, this year we had Longshot. Yeah. And I was like, why why are we doing this, friends? Longshot's okay. Um, Longshot's politics are very weird, but I found it funny. All of its politics are weird. All of the romantic comedy elements are really great, and everything yes. else is kind of bad. Yeah, I think that's true. Bad. I think that's um, true. Yeah, I don't know. Meryl, don't don't take roles beneath you. Can I mention very briefly that Kelly Sane, who wrote this movie, only other credit is uh, a 1998 film that he wrote and directed called Francesca Page that is a, by all accounts, drag queen comedy starring Varla Jean Merman. Varla Jean Merman. Like, what a f- fucking legend what a odd two films to be the only two films you've ever written right i almost wondered when i saw that if it was some type of same name but two different people or or a pseudonym oh maybe Um, yeah but rendition's not bad enough that you need to throw a pseudonym on it unless it was written by like 20 people oh so do Um, you think like that name might be uh like alan smithy but like only ever used twice uh maybe or it's like this was literally a bunch of scripts stitched together (laughs) and rewritten by three different teams i don't know but again we mentioned that it was rushed but yeah i do think that's odd i always it's always surprising based off of what we talk about on this podcast when we do have the one where it's like oh this is this person's only screenwriting credit on imdb right Yeah, that's definitely strange, for sure. At some point, like, when we were in the prediction game for these movies, we should have maybe thought of that. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. So, um, two things before we want to get to the IMDb game. You, I want you to talk about the Teen Choice Awards, and then I will talk about the Toronto Film Festival. Um, Okay, so shockingly, Rendition is not an AARP movie for grown-ups nominee, but you know what it is? It is a double nominee at the Teen Choice Awards. Bizarre. You know how much the teens fucking flipped for... Rendition. Yep. Uh, I mean, it (laughs) was all... So what the kids are all dancing to. It was all the theater kids confusing it for Fiddler on the Roof. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal, Reese Witherspoon, which maybe, of course, that's because they were in a relationship and they were in, like, the tabloids and such. Um, And then also, notedly, um, famous historian of uh, adverbs and acronyms, or not acronyms, uh, adjectives, Peter Travers named this the worst anti-war film of 2007. Wild. 
And there were a lot of them. But also, what a shitty, like, distinction. Also, I get that it's, like, a trend or whatever. But, like, there was this sense by some of these people who just, like, I don't want to see anything about that. And it's just, like, okay, well... These movies are great, but at some point, but at some point, like you're gonna have to fucking pay attention to this thing because it's happening, and you can't just you know put your head in the sand about it. I don't know. All right, so I wanted to mention because this movie premiered at the Toronto Film Festival in 2007, and when we talk about TIFF nowadays, and we talk about it as like a you know, kickoff point for award season. It's It feels a little bit less than that now because there's so much competition from Telluride and Venice and everything seems a little bit more diffuse and spread out. But, like, I want to read the lineup for tw- 2007 TIFF and, like, get a sense of just how much... And I don't know whether all of these were premieres. They were probably not all premieres, but, like, just the sense of how much this was the starting gate for Oscar season. Michael Clayton, Eastern Promises, Elizabeth the Golden Age, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, Atonement, I'm Not There, In the Valley of Ella, Juno, which was the big thing that year, because that was the big sort of discovery. Lars and the Real Girl, Lust Caution, Ang Lee's Lust Caution, Persepolis, which was an animated nominee, The Savages, Diving Bell and the Butterfly, The Visitor. So if you tally that up, that is three Best Picture nominees, Michael Clayton, Juno, Atonement. That's 12 of the 20 acting nominees from that season were Toronto premieres. And, like, they weren't all hits. Like, there was a lot of, like, this had Oscar buzz was well represented there in terms of stuff that I think we're going to end up doing eventually. Reservation Road was there. The Brave One, Across the Universe, the Julie Taymor Beatles movie. Um, the Vadim Perelman movie that we mentioned the last time that was at this point called Secret Columbine. Right, Secret Columbine that was at this point called In Bloom. It ended up being the story before her eyes. Um, Margot at the Wedding was at this TIFF. Like, it's... I sometimes look at old TIFF lineups and sort of fantasize that I would have been able to be there sort of as all of this was happening. And I'm sure I would have missed some of these and, you know, seen... Followed down some misbegotten rabbit holes and whatnot. But, like... It's incredible how concentrated the award season was in just this festival. I think it's also interesting that you mentioned like this is like before or maybe at the beginning of Venice and Telluride being like an Oscar thing as well. Because I remember Juno breaking out really big at Telluride um, this year. But like this, I mean, TIFF still has a lot of impact on the Oscar race, but like this is when it could fully kill your movie to have a poor reception renditions obviously a great example of that um you mentioned elizabeth golden age you mentioned margo at the wedding this year both of which like either died or in margo's case had a mixed response at the festival well elizabeth uh, the golden age survived enough to get nominations for planchette and costumes and you know a few others but that was a big expected best picture movie yes it was and like lars and the real girls another one were like Gosling came close, but like it did get that, you know, screenplay nomination. And it's just, it's, it's astounding to me the, you know, how much concentration there was in that. I didn't realize, like, because I'm the weirdo that always remembers the distributor for movies. I didn't <laughs> realize that this was a new line movie, um, which kind of makes sense. It's interesting that the, like, post Lord of the Rings pre being essentially acquired by warner brothers right 
era of like a rendition would have been their Oscar play. Um, but I was a little surprised remembering that this debuted at TIFF. I wouldn't necessarily predict that if this movie was released today. Right. I think I agree with that. But again, like that was probably a poor decision on their part. Yeah. Although it's tough for me to imagine a scenario where you could have rolled this out more successfully. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what, like, do you, do you do late December and hope people just sort of like vote without seeing it? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't think it does it. Do you want to play the IMDb game? I do want to play the IMDb game. Would you like to explain to our listeners how we play the IMDb game? Sure. Every week we play the IMDb game, which is essentially each one of us picks an actor or actress to quiz the other one with. What we're guessing is the four movies that show up when you look up that actor on IMDb. They're the four movies that they're most known for. So we try and guess what those movies are. If we get two wrong guesses, then we are given, uh, in the form of a hint, uh, the years that the missing movies are from. If we still can't get it from there, then it's, you know, a barrage of hints until we get it, because that's fun. We uh, will pledge to let the other person know if any of the movies uh, on the known for are either voice work or television work, because that's only sporting. And we tend to stay away from actors or actresses who are very heavily involved in the Harry Potter and Marvel universes, because those movies tend to clog up their IMDb, and it's not always fun to guess which three Harry Potter movies Maggie Smith is known for. So, yes. Chris, do you have awesome. one for me? I do have one for you. We talked a little bit about Omar Metwali, the um, participant of shirtless male bondage, a.k.a. Um, enhanced interrogation, a.k.a. torture uh-huh. um, in the film. Listeners are probably most familiar with Omar Metwali from uh, Showtime's The Affair. The Affair, most notably, uh, giving us awards for the deserving Maura Tierney. Maura Tierney oh. is your IMDb game challenge. No television? There is one television. And even that's tough. I imagine, though, it's ER. It is ER. Okay, because also she was great on news radio, um, and then obviously news The radio. Affair. But ER. All right, okay. So then three movies... Besides her television work on ER. Okay. She's never had a lead role in a movie. She's always playing, like, the sister or the co-worker or something like that. What was the one? Is it Baby Mama that she is Tina Fey's sister? Um... Don't remember if she's a sister in that movie. Is Baby Mama your guess, yes, however? Yes, it is. It is not Baby Mama. Okay. You have I one wrong that guess. Up and see if that's right after, though, because I don't want to cheat. Um, if she is not actually in Baby Mama, I will give that back to you. Isn't it the one where like she like sees like uh, she like licks she up this chocolate? She is in Baby Mama, right? Because she's just like it's either poop or chocolate, and she licks it, and she's like it's chocolate, um, and it's horrifying. Okay. <laughs> Maura Tierney. Oh, is it, um, it might be too soon, but is it Beautiful Boy? Beautiful Boy. Okay. She's great in that, honestly. She's the only good thing about that movie. I disagree with you in that, but I think she is great in that. In that very uneven and and ultimately not great movie. She certainly is the showcase of the best scene of the movie. 
the chase, the car chase? Yes, the car chase. All right. Is it Primal Fear? I know she's in Primal Fear, but her role is relatively small. Um, I'm going to double check that she is in Primal Fear. No, she I is know in Primal she's Fear. in Primal Fear. It is not yeah. the answer. Yeah. All right. So, since you have two wrong guesses, I'm giving you the years. Your years are 1997 and 2002. 1997 and 2002. More Tierney. 1997. So, she's still on news radio at this point. Um, hmm. Is it a comedy? 1997 is a comedy. It would almost have to be, right. Okay, so... I would not be surprised if she's second build in this comedy. I'm going to look it up. She is second build in this comedy, uh, but, like, this is a comedy Oh, oh it's Forces of for... Nature. It is not Forces of Fuck! Nature. Isn't she the, the woman that Ben Affleck leaves in yes. Forces of Nature? Um, Damn uh, it. Yes, she is. I guess too um, soon. Well, she doesn't, he doesn't leave her, though. I think he marries her. Oh, right. But, like, he almost leaves her for... Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, No, this is a a star vehicle for its male comic actor. Oh, um, Liar, Liar. Liar, Liar. Liar, Liar. Is she the female lead? Is she the the romantic interest? She's the ex-wife. The ex-wife, right. Yeah. Who's the... the, Who was he into in that movie? I don't know. Jim Carrey love interests all right? blur together in the 90s. Right? Unless they're Cameron Diaz. Um, right. Okay, so the 2002, this is a director that we love to argue about on the internet. This is probably his most forgotten movie. Oh, it's, may... I know. No, you need to say no more. This is Insomnia. This is Christopher Nolan's Insomnia. Insomnia. She's pretty good in this movie. She's very, very dependable in... Movies that don't give her enough to do. Yeah, she's a fantastic actress. I also love her in Primary Colors. She's wonderful. She's great. Love her. All right. Who do you have for me? I have, so we mentioned um, Gavin Hood, obviously, who went on to make movies like he did um, Eye in the Sky recently, which I actually really liked. And wait, how did I get to this actor? Sorry, hold on a second. Let me breadcrumb my steps <laughs> it's so funny i like literally chose this like a second ago um and already i'm just like wait how did we get here no because gavin hood also made Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. ender's game right yes the very memorable ender's game one of the mm-hmm. stars of ender's game uh if you can remember which you won't was ben kingsley so i'm going to quiz you on ben kingsley Ben Kingsley, Schindler's List. Yes. Gandhi. Yes. Ben Kingsley's too easy. I almost want to give you something else now. <laughs> uh, oh, I mean, we can. No, it's fine. I gave you kind of a difficult one. I might give you a second one just to, like, really double okay. check you. Because, like, yeah, Ben Kingsley's not going to challenge you too much. I mean, I'm trying to think. There's no voice work, right? Nope. Nor any television. No television. I don't really know him for television. Uh, Hugo. No, strike one. Ooh. Hmm. I mean, House of Sand and Fog? Yes, correct. Okay, House of Sand and Fog. What was his other Oscar nomination? Well, was it like Bugsy? Well, he was nominated for Bugsy. But, but that, it's not Bugsy. It's not Bugsy, but also you're on the right 
track because he didn't just is have... it sexy beast it is sexy beast a movie i still have to see yeah, so it is three of his Oscar nominations plus Schindler's List. That was not very difficult, so I'm also going to give you somebody else from Render's Game. All right. And that is Abigail Breslin. Abigail Breslin. Um, is one of them Render's Game? Nope. Okay. Cool. Uh, well, Little Miss Sunshine. Yes, correct. Obviously. obviously. What if it uh, wasn't? What if there were four Abigail Breslin things that were not Little Miss Sunshine? <laughs> uh geez what what was that movie with uh ryan reynolds she was the daughter and it was like i fucking hate you you're way too good at this game do you hate me because this is like a this is totally a tbs movie though um i don't Wait, I don't possibly it, it hate a, you. It I definitely it's a stupid hate you. Title. You definitely it's definitely maybe. Yes. Okay. That's a stupid title. Um It's based on an, an Oasis song. Or album. <laughs> uh songs? That cast is amazing, by the way. The definitely maybe cast, where it's like, oh, Ryan Reynolds just can't choose from all of these women, and it's just like all these women who are like too good for him, which is like Rachel Vice and Elizabeth Banks, and it's that, like, high-fidelity problem, which is just sort of like... Fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Fuck off, Ryan Reynolds. Can't choose between Rachel Vice and anyone else. And Isla Fisher. Yeah. Well, I think he does, right? I think that's the end of that movie, that he does pick Rachel Vice. I don't know if I've seen it. I just remember the trailer and the poster and being like, absolutely not. Um, (laughs) Signs. Signs. Signs, signs, yes. She's a little, little baby water enthusiast in Signs. Yeah. Um, I love signs, but that is a preposterous plot twist. They're like, oh, remember this little girl who was leaving glasses of half-drunk water all over this house for no reason? It's important. Remember that aliens came to take over this planet Uh that consists of two-thirds of the thing that kills them? Uh Uh-huh. Great idea. Great idea. Remember that movie where humans went and and landed on an arsenic planet? That's great. That was a good time. Yeah, yeah. Um, remember that time that humans invaded a planet that doesn't have a way for them to, like, breathe? <laughs> um, uh, Signs is good, though. Yes. I love Signs. <laughs> Aside from what we're saying, yes. Signs is great. All right. Um, uh, Zombieland. No, not Zombieland. Oh. All right, so now you get a hint, right? All right. Your hint is 2013. 2013? hmm She would have been, like, 20 years... Mm-hmm. See, Abigail Breslin, as a teenager and adult, I don't know if she tracks as Abigail Breslin anymore. She was on Scream Queens around this time. <sighs> Maybe a couple years after. Uh, it was also the same year that she was in Ender's Game. Okay, which I did not see. You're fine. <laughs> um... Give me another hint. Okay. It seems like it would be the kind of movie we would do on this podcast, but we cannot for very prominent reasons. So it's not a great... So, mm, 2013. Like, it has all the trappings of the kind of movie that we do here. But it had a major nomination in 2013. At least one. 
I mean, I probably would have seen it. I just... Oh, you definitely saw it. We all saw it. I mentioned how much I love this poster not long ago. Oh, it's August Osage County. Sure I forgot is. she's it, she's the kid in she's August the kid. Osage she's County. She's the kid in August Osage County. What is the thing she says that Meryl like throws back in her face about um fear? <laughs> you can taste animals you can taste that yeah, animal's you, fear. That she's whole... a vegetarian because you can taste the fear. Yeah. Meryl's so mean to her in that movie. I love it. Ugh. Also, remember how Juliette Lewis was in that movie? Uh, Juliette Lewis, star of Ma. Do you know what Juliette Lewis is really good in? Ma. Yeah, she's like really good she's in She's really she good. good Ma. Listen, guys. Okay, so we're probably at the end of the Ma discourse, but like we have got to get ta- we have got to get Tate Taylor's friends to stop giving him favors <laughs> every person in that movie probably even the teenagers is a called in favor true very true Juliet lewis is in that movie octavia spencer obviously um do we assume just like well allison janney right allison, allison in that janney movie. who's like clearly <laughs> the kindest person will do literally yes. anything for their friends oh, trashy veterinarian i'm on it <laughs> two scenes and then i'm dead in a cage sure like, I will say, Ma fairness, lost me for a while and then, like, fully got me in the last 15 minutes. I think only the cast knows what that movie is. I don't <laughs> think Tate Taylor knows what that movie is. It's about a woman who doesn't want to drink alone. What are you talking about? Yeah. Also, that don't woman... Don't make me drink alone yet, not alone. Did you, the, the amount of booze that that woman was buying for these kids, she would have gone broke. She's a works at a vet's office and isn't even the the vet. Like... There is no way she has money to buy all that. Booze also, is expensive. They're high schoolers. Like they were. Like I thought, I saw a bottle of like Smirnoff in there. They're high schoolers. Yeah, they you don't need top shelf shit. Light. Right. Right. Exactly. Like you need to buy them the five ninety nine vodka. Yes, you do. At yeah. Best. At, at just at a basic economic level, that movie doesn't work. <laughs> I enjoyed the ending. I thought it was. I thought it went off the rails. Rails in exactly the kind of way I wanted it to. And although I will say, all right, so here's my pet peeve is all of this marketing in the last week or so with Ma is like, see Ma right away before it gets spoiled for you. Like, don't let yourself get spoiled, you fucking idiot. Every like, twist is predictable in that movie. Well, it's not only predictable, but like the first trailer for that movie gives away everything. Like, I was really shocked how much I knew about what happens in the final reel of this movie by what is given away in the first trailer. Not like the week of, like, we're going to show you new scenes, TV commercials. No. Like, that first trailer gives you every, gives away the whole farm. In fairness, it's not really that, like, scary or terrifying, terrifying until the last, like, 15 minutes of the movie. And they do kind of have to sell it as a horror film. Sure. But like, I would have but... liked to have not known that she was going to sew that w- girl's lips together. Cause that's horrifying. Yeah. I don't know. Also like all of a sudden she just likes it. Literally. She is a woman who snaps, even though she, the whole Munchausen by proxy stuff. Munchausen by proxy is real hot right now. Well, like, I, everybody's I, into Munchausen by proxy. I almost feel like they were writing that movie and then like, they watched Mommy Dead and Dearest, and they're like, oh, that too. Let's do that too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think you're right. I'm just saying, Ma, 
I would have given it an extra half star rating if she had cut his dick off. That's all I'm gonna say about. Okay, that. because that's because all you you think you think that it's gonna be this fake out, or at least I did. We're like they're not gonna do that, but then they show you the dick, and I'm like, oh, they're gonna do the that. Fakest looking dick. The super fake. I'm like, you don't show me a fake looking dick if you're not gonna cut off that fake looking dick, and then they don't. Exactly. Also, okay, so her plan. All right, if you haven't seen Ma. I hope you've run away by now because we're fully spoiling it, and I don't care. You should have seen Ma eventually, or early, rather, because the TV commercials told you to. Her plan with Luke Evans was to transfuse him with dog's blood, which, first of all, I was kind of curious what that would do to a person. Yeah. Like, he would probably just die of blood poisoning, but, like, I'm kind of curious. Like, what? How would that present itself? That could have been scary. But then... She goes to all that trouble to set up an IV and to put up the blood bag and to have... What is the dog's name that is on that? Louie. Louie. And it's just like, who the fuck is Louie? Oh, we know who Louie is. But so all of that trouble <laughs> to set up this horrifying scenario and all of a sudden we're just like, is he going to become a dog? Because in the universe of this movie, he might. And then she slices, like slashes his wrist on the other arm and kills him. And it's just like, well, all of that was for nothing then, apparently. We're never going to see what happens to somebody who gets transfused with dog blood. And I wanted to see. I'm sure I wasn't alone. But not alone. You wanted to see what happened with that dog's blood, too. I, I know you did. I mean... Don't lie. I... I was just like, at that point, I was like, sure. Um, But like the daughter thing, like the second you saw her, I was like, is this going to be a time jump? She's somehow associated to Octavia Spencer. They have the same goddamn hair. Also, there's three black people in the movie. Like, yeah, the racial politics of that movie are not great (laughs) and not examined. Well, they weren't examined. And then all of a sudden, in that last 15 minutes, they're like, oh, there are racial politics that we have to, like, maybe address. And she's just like, literally takes a paintbrush and is just like, whoop, whoop, done. Addressed. But this is why we shouldn't have trust Tate Taylor. Though it's not like it wasn't it's not as bad. It's not like bad as I was worried that it could potentially be. No, I don't think this is like a movie with like evil intent or anything like that. Like I feel like I will be so exhausted if this becomes a movie we have to like take seriously enough to debate the racial politics of because snooze. But like I think it's going to go away too fast. It's like, a fun know. trashy movie as far as I'm concerned. And my letterbox logged of this movie was exactly this. I watched this movie exactly as it should be watched by yourself on a Saturday afternoon with a personal pizza and a beer. That's how you should be watching Ma. <laughs> My theater was full. Full. And I had, like, the only two empty seats in the theater were on either side of me, which was really boss. But, like, it was a pretty packed theater, I will say. And that theater was on board with that last little act of the movie, so... I think my theater, like, there were a few other people, but, like, I didn't have anyone see the movie with me. There were a few other people, and I don't think they got what it was. Like, when there was the, what was the needle drop after she runs over Missy Pyle? It was September. Yes! I we laughed died laughing. It was so great. ass off. And, like, I, someone even looked back at me like I shouldn't be laughing at it. Oh, come like, on. Come on. Come on. It's funny, and it was supposed to be. <laughs> that was so great. I think that... The trailer even shows her running. She does. It shows her running over Missy Pyle. It shows her sewing the girl's lips together. It literally tells you about the whole, like, it essentially lays out the fact that 
she knew all of these kids' parents before, and like yeah. that's what is the revenge. It shows you Luke Evans telling, like, warning her to stay away. So like that twist isn't even like pre- preserved. It's it gives the whole movie away. Yeah. <laughs> Come back to my next stand-up special. Very obvious things we complain about about the movies all the time. They give the trailers give away the movies, but they do. So fine. All right. Anyway. Anyway, this is our rendition. (laughs) (laughs) Rendition, true or false, would have been better if Ma were in it. Uh, True. I'm going to say true. hmm, True. I mean, sure. Always true. We want Ma and everything. Ma would have got results. Um, Ma would have got results. Ma would have... I don't know. Uh, some she would have gotten Peter Sarsgaard drunk. She would have turned Senator Alan Arkin into a dog man, and then who knows what would have happened. <laughs> um, I love that all roads lead back to Ma. All right, um, thank you, Abigail Breslin. Thank you, Abigail Breslin. Um, all right, rendition though. Last word about rendition is, I love you, Meryl Streep and Reese Witherspoon, and I forgive you for making this movie. Uh, mine, which I guess we didn't get into, and we could have gotten into had our listeners picked Shattered Glass. Mine is Justice for Peter Sarsgaard. We'll we'll get into Peter Sarsgaard eventually. Yeah, yeah, that's a promise. Um, but anyway, that is our episode. If you want more of this head Oscar buzz, uh, you should check out our Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, please tell the listeners where they can find you and your stuff. Twitter, at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. Letterboxed, Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. Also, if you feel like checking out the website Primetimer, I am managing editor there. We talk about TV and not movies, which I get it. It's disappointing. But it's really good TV writing, so come and check us out. That is. You very can see true. some of the writing by Mr. Chris File. I've written about some stuff on there, too. Yeah. Come read my stuff, but you can also find me on Twitter at Chris V. File. That's F E I L. Letterbox at the same name. I also have a This Head Oscar Buzz list on there where I'll have the direct links to episodes and stats from our IMDb game battles. Um, we would also like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. A five star review in particular really helps us out with itunes visibility so please uh, stop those potential new listeners in their various lobbies and tell us we're okay 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 she really screeches that line and it's really bad and they thought that was fucking gold they put that in every trailer every trailer best part of the movie not only ma was spoiled rendition was as well That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz and telling us we're okay! Squeak! Tradition!